This week on the show, we have OpenBSD 7.2 released. We also look at Hugo Aita. Uh, both of them released, and we will see what's new there. We also learned the whys and hows with the FreeBSD tech team from an article from the FreeBSD Foundation. Uh, how to get notified about FreeBSD updates with a shell script provided forums using Unbound for ad blocking on OpenBSD, further memory protections on OpenBSD, and more in this week's episode of BSD Now. BSD Now episode 480, OpenBSD 7.2. This episode is recorded on the 2nd of November, 2022, and is sponsored by Tarsnap. Yes, you heard right. Tarsnap.com slash BSDNow is your address to find the online backup for truly paranoid people. And if you would like to support the show, check out our Patreon page. It's patreon.com slash BSDNow, and any help there is appreciated. Hello, I'm your host, Benedict Reuschling. And I'm Tom Jones. Yay, welcome. We are back with a... Fresh week and a fresh episode and even fresher content. And because it turns out OpenBSD 7.2 has been released on time. Yeah, so this is the, um, oh, okay. I, I was going to say it's not a sec 72nd OpenBSD release because they did something funky with release numbers, but it actually says um, this is the uh, 53rd OpenBSD release, um, which is really cool because they just increment each point release. Um, and so, yeah, this is... Uh, many years of OpenBSD, and they have a giant list of things. Uh, and we'll just start reading the cool bits from the what's new. Uh, what's new starts with this is a partial list of new features and systems included in OpenBSD 7.2. For a comprehensive list, see the change log leading to 7.2. Um, and so, right at the start, there's some new and extended platforms, which is always interesting to talk about. So, they've added support for the Ampere Ultra. Um, these are really large. Um, ARM64 server machines, and they can support up to 160 cores and a ton of RAM, so they're really cool. Uh, they added support for the Apple M2, which is a much smaller but still cool uh, ARM64 machine, uh, and one you're more likely to have at home. And fairly recent, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> much quieter. <laughs> um, and they also added support for the Lenovo ThinkPad X13S and other machines using the Qualcomm Snapdragon XCX Gen 3 system on a chip. And this is another um, ARM64 based system, but it's closer to a desktop. And I think this processor is quite similar to the one in the Windows um, AR64 development kit, which I have seen images of uh, OpenBSD floating around on the net already. Um, and there have been various kernel improvements. So they've allowed uh, BSD RD, um, which is the RAM disk, and BSD uh, MP, which is the multi processor kernel, to boot on Oracle Cloud AMD64 instances. PF now automatically allows IGMP and ICMP um, 6 MLD packets with the root roller option. Um, uh, they fixed uh, Luna 88K multi-processor multi issue where the multi-processor kernel is booting with CPU modules installed in arbitrary slots. Uh, they fixed KQ wake-ups, which are found by Go test cases. Uh, hidden away in the middle of a list, uh, they bumped the maximum number of CPUs to 256 on ARM64 which is a cool change. I wonder if they have any systems like that. They dropped detection code for the 386SX and the 386DX CPUs. Now, OpenBSD i386 hasn't supported running on these for some time, 
uh, but it's good to see they're tidying this stuff up. They dropped detection code for Cyrix CPUs, older than the Cyrix M2. There's a big list of SMP improvements. Uh, they've made the root timer and multiprocessor safe. The kernel lock to protect parts of ARP, ND6, and PPOE are, no, are not MP safe. Um, lookup of existing ARP entries in the is multiprocessor safe and can run in parallel. You can now start up to four softnet tasks to run IP input and forwarding in parallel multiple cores. IPv4 packet reassembly happens in parallel. Um, IPv4, uh, IPv6 hop by hop option processing is happening in parallel. I have opinions about this. Um, they added a mutex to rate limit functions to make them uh, multiprocessor safe. Added a mutex to the rate limiting functions. Um, I think this is probably ICMP packet generation, which is cool. Um, UDP, raw IP, and divert packets are now being per protected with a per socket mutex. Um, there's a ton of stuff. Updates to direct rendering management. Uh, they updated DRM to Linux 5.1569. They've been VMM, VMD improvements. So VMM is the OpenBSD native virtual machine framework. So you can uh, host guests on top of OpenBSD. They've improved error, error handling and logging. Uh, all the internal structures and interfaces have been unified between VMD, VMCTL, and VMM uh, to use bytes for memory and disk sizes. They fixed rebooting uh, received VM and VMD. Um, they have VMD provide a copy of BIOS at 4K boundary, which allows CBIOS and newer Linux kernels to run. Um, they fix them off by one errors in, in VMD. Um, the VMM can now read the MSR TSC on Intel hosts, which is cool if you want to have time. Um, they've had various user land features, but there's only five things, which is shortlist compared to other stuff. Um, and um, so they've replaced rc.d at rc exec variable with an rc exec function, which will require some changes uh, in scripts to keep compatibility. They've added a new daemon at daemon executor variable to rc.d to allow specified directory running before rc exec. There's a new timestamp utility for timestamping logs. Uh, there's a forest mode added to ps, which is similar to the Linux uh, process tree mode. And there's been tons of bug fixes in userland. Um, so they fixed open rsync on Spark 64. Um, connection timeout functionality is added to open rsync. Default open rsync connection timeout with the RPKA client in this now 15 seconds. They've made changes to fdesk, disk label, net star, rc.subroutine, keyboard. I don't know what that is. Um, <laughs> changes to the sound.io library, xterm, patch, um, install boot. And they've got new hardware and driver fixes for a bunch of a bunch of Apple prefix drivers. Uh, so these will be the ones in the M1 and M2 series Max. Uh, a bunch of QC prefix drivers, which will be the Qualcomm stuff uh, for the new Qualcomm processors. Um, a soft clock and sorry, a clock driver and a pin control driver for the Star Five, um, which I think is a Risk Five processor. Um, new network hardware support. So they increased the RX buffer on. UA, uh, increased the RX buffer size on UAQ, re repaired RGE hardware for VLAN tagging, improved statistics via uh, KStats for MVNETA, enabled Alt-Q on ARM64, sorry, AQ on ARM64, uh, implemented and enabled IPv4, TCP, and UDP checksum offloading for IGC. 
do wireless driver support, wireless stack improvements, bootloader improvements, security improvements, changes in the network stack beyond the multiprocessor ones I talked about before. Uh, a big ton of improvements for rooting daemons and other user on network improvements. Um, Tmux improvements, Libra SSL improvements. Uh, it's now at 3.6.0. Um, Open SSH 9.1. Uh, Mandoc, and then they have a massive collection of ports and packages. There are pre-built packages for each architecture, um, up to uh, 11,000 range for ARCH64 and uh, AMD64, um, and uh, to be decided number of packages for PowerPC64, and there's a ton of highlights about uh, improvements here. So if you want to know more about this um, latest OpenBSD release, you want to catch up soon because there'll be another one in six months but there's a ton to read in the release notes and even more to read in the incremental patch log that they link at the top of the release notes. Oh, yes. Definitely also check out the artwork. And uh, there's even a more detailed logs, uh, log of changes between 7.1 and 7.2. And uh, I guess it's uh, due. Congratulations, OpenBSD, on another nice and timely release. Okay. Looking at uh, FreeBSD, we found a blog article about keeping FreeBSD secure. Learn the whys and hows with the FreeBSD SEC team. Uh, it starts with, we all know the scene. The room is dark with the only light provided by the laptop screen. The hooded figure is typing furiously at the keyboard. Suddenly, lines of symbols, letters, and numbers fly into the terminal window as the nefarious character smiles brightly. They are in. Not so fast. The dogged security team has been planning for this. Protocols are in place, the breach is secured, the sinister hacker is captured, and of course, the world is safe. Ah, movie OS, don't you just love it? Now, we all know in the real world, trying to keep any type of technology secure is nearly a Herculean task. Strengthening security for the FreeBSD operating system is no different. But we wanted to know more about exactly what the FreeBSD SEC team does and why they do it. So we sat down with Gordon Tetlow, a volunteer FreeBSD security officer, and Ed Mask, deputy security officer, as well as Mark Johnston, a FreeBSD security team member. The latter two are sponsored by FreeBSD Foundation and support the security team in both ongoing operational aspects of the team's work and proactive development. So the first question they were asked is, what is FreeBSD's project's overall approach to security? And Ed Mask said, that the security team focused on several different aspects of security with FreeBSD. And one area is what's often called PSIRT, or Product Security Incident Response Team. This is a main focus of the security team today. This team fields reports about vulnerabilities and issues and responds by identifying the problem and managing the release of the fix. Examples may include errors in drivers, protocols, Box found by our own proactive fuzzing efforts or other automated tools and code review. The team's response includes preparing or integrating patches to fix those issues, preparing and publishing security advisories to notify the community of the issue, and deploying the binary updates. A second focus is the proactive security work, which includes targeted efforts to find the issues, vulnerability mitigations that reduce the impact when issues do occur, and general architectural security reviews. These efforts were historically undertaken directly by the SEC team, and in the current security team model, responsibility for certain areas has moved to separate groups of subject matter experts. FreeBSD's random number generation subsystem is an example of, some, of such area. 
uh, like the security team remains involved, but specific responsibility is delegated. And so uh, Gordon Tetlow also adds the other role that we play is in coordinating with industry efforts. There are vulnerabilities that affect more than just the FreeBSD project, where there is common code shared with other open source projects. We end up with industry-wide efforts to address those. An example would be OpenSSL. By the time we record this, there's another one being published and people are uh, scrambling to patch those. And so um, Gordon continues, which is another project that we incorporate and we have to coordinate disclosure and coordinate patch response for that. Then we do uh, much the same all the way uh, upstream, right? One example is when Intel had the Spectre and Meltdown speculation execution issues a couple of years ago. Literally everybody, every operating system manufacturer and a lot of other folks had to get together and coordinate an industry-wide response, for better or worse. So we also play an important role in that broad industry response. And the next question is, what is FreeBSD's specific role in disclosures? And Ed said that if we have a vulnerability reported in FreeBSD that we will be addressing, we handle the public disclosure to the FreeBSD community of that vulnerability and handle the patch and binary update for the fix. Uh, they are also involved in public disclosure in terms of coordinating with industry partners and peers. If there is an issue that affects Linux and OpenBSD and NetBSD and FreeBSD, for example, and someone is coordinating the reporting of that issue with all different communities, then we'll collaborate with those projects to help make sure that these fixes are released on the schedule set by the vulnerability reporter or the industry peers who are managing and coordinating that. Then there's a question about uh, formalized roles or mission statements or a charter guiding the security work. And the uh, quote here from Ed is from the administration and management team's uh, project website. Uh, the FreeBSD security team headed by the tech team officer is responsible for keeping the community aware of bugs, exploits, and security risks affecting the FreeBSD source and port trees and to promote and distribute information needed to safely run FreeBSD systems. Furthermore, it is responsible for resolving software bugs affecting the security of FreeBSD and issuing security advisories. The FreeBSD security team, uh, security officer charter, describes the duties and responsibilities of the security officer in greater detail. And Gordon also adds that the security officer has an open-ended charter to make things secure, which includes the ability to override actions and decisions of other developers if necessary in the name of security. Now, that's not something that we exercise lightly, and it's definitely something we have to be very conscientious about using. But the charter mandates that we ensure by whatever means necessary that what we're doing is the right thing. And there were further questions about how reports or advisories are handled, as well as how to find security issues and what's next for the security team. We leave these to you to read up. You can find the whole article and our show notes. Okay, let's look at the news roundup for this week. We have found a how-to. Uh, specifically, how to be notified of FreeBSD upgrades, security updates, and package updates at login, which some Linux distributions have and telling you, oh, welcome back to the system. Uh, we have uh, five new packages for you. So check out that link, uh, because at the time of the recording, the FreeBSD forums are currently being upgraded and I cannot access that, but it's in the how-to section and we link, of course, to that as well from our show notes. So you 
uh, find it later when the forum is updated. Okay, I, I have it cached. Just uh, I, I'll read it. Oh, good. Excellent. Okay, so we have a forum post by uh, Pierre-Marie Batty. Um, and they write, hello, all FreeBSD users. At the invitation of Krivens, I want to click this link. I think it's a, it's a forum user. I've reposted here the little script I've come up with, which received improvements from the community. Thanks, Sir Dice, Unitrunker, and MX. The idea was to obtain information about FreeBSD upgrades, security updates, and package updates right at login. It's something I find has been lacking for years for the average self-hosted FreeBSD user like me, who occasionally logs into a server to check if anything's, everything's going well, perform package upgrades, and wants to stay up to date with the latest version of the available operating system. As far as I know, unless I missed something in the documentation for all these years, there is no simple way for the system to tell you, hey there, a new production version is available. You should start considering upgrading right at login. I know I could subscribe to a mailing list to be notified directly in my mailbox, but these emails rarely come at a moment when I'm ready to address the issue. And I'd rather be notified of that when I log into my server, because that's exactly when I'm available to perform routine maintenance tasks. The following script, which I currently use on most FreeBSD machines, answers this need. I'll commit myself to come back and post updates and fixes whenever it will be necessary. Uh, how to use, paste the following lines in a file, makes it executable and append it to your profile or whatever login shall you use it and call it login time. Um, yeah, and then it involves a lot of um, escape sequences, so I can't really read this particularly uh, easily. Uh, then every time you log in, you can be notified of uh, operating system security dates, updates, OS upgrades, and package updates. It works by fetching um, from freebsd.org website index, parsing the returned HTML, and looks at the number that's right after production in the middle of the page that tells the visitor which is the latest supported production release. Then it does a second query to cget.freebsd.org to find the current patch level for this version out of the sysconf newverse shell script. It then assembles that data in a variable, compares it with the current version string that freebsd version command returns. And if the major minor part differ, it suggests an OS upgrade. If the patch level differs, it tells you the security update is available. And if an error occurred trying to retrieve the latest available tag, it tells you where it happened. Uh, only one line of output is displayed. Each intermediate message is erased by the next one. It doesn't flood your terminal. And extra candy, if your terminal supports Unicode um, emoji, uh, like macOS, you get color icons prefixed in the message lines printed by the script. So you have a little timer checking for updates, a little timer checking for upgrades. A security update is available to uh, 3BSD 13.1 release P2, consider FreeBSD update. You have 15 outdated packages, consider package upgrade. Your system is up to date, congratulations. And if your terminal doesn't support Unicode or you prefer ASCII only, you can swap these out for some nice uh, icons. Oh, that's what those were. Yeah, cool, that's a nice little script. And our next item is more for the people who want to have a more quiet and undistracted uh, browsing experience at blogging with OpenBSD's Unbound. So this is a how-to, and of course the introduction reads, the internet is full of ads and trackers, adding from my experience, if only that. Um, and a way to avoid these is to simply not reach the stinky servers. This can be partially done using a local DNS resolver, and this article is a reboot of both the 2019 blocking ads using Unbound on OpenBSD, and they link to that as well on their own blog, and storing Unbound logs into InfluxDB, uh, because then you can have some nice analysis and pretty pictures and dashboards about it. 
introduction reads in DNS ads blocking is fairly simple when you were supposed to make an internet request to some servers known to host ads and trackers then you just don't this requires you to set up and maintain a smart DNS server you also have to tell your devices the smartphones the tablets the computers the embedded devices whatever to use it under the hood the DNS server tells your devices that the domain names they're looking for don't exist there are such ready-to-use solutions available uh, Pi-Hole and AdGuard Home are some well-known solutions. uBlock Origin works another way, but uses the same kind of algorithm to protect your privacy. Detects bad resources and not let you go there. Right there. The bad domain names are crap, using some of the same sources also used by those projects. Ingredients here. Grafana to render the statistics. That's optional, but nice to have. Pretty pictures here. InfluxDB to store the information for Grafana. Then syslog D and awk to turn the DNS queries into statistics. And there's collect D and shell script to store the unbound statistics in awks. And unbound itself and a shell script to get and block those DNS queries. And they walk us all through how to set this up uh, with the uh, first sourcing the ads and trackers list, getting the fresh list about who the ads hosts are. And there's a Pretty substantial shell, shell script about it and that gets you those various sources into a uh, file that has all these and uh, then there's a cron job set up to actually fetch this in regular intervals to always have fresh sources and then the configuration for the uh, fqdn zone on unbound is also provided and then they restart the unbound daemon and next is the usage data to collect the metrics about, you know, what was blocked and how often and, you know, all these kinds of things. They will be fed into InfluxDB and they have a script to do that as well. And uh, InfluxDB also can provide statistics in various ways, like number of queries and uh, how many of those were from those bad uh, ad domains. And there's a separate script also provided to parse those logs. So all one and they also provide a nice little dashboard in grafana to show you you know did it increase the the ads or the blocking got better over time so that's pretty good as an overview and there's also an extra about dns performance for the most impatient and or curious it is possible to benchmark unbound using commonly used domain names so there's a top 10 million domains uh, page so they can use that as your DNS perf uh, target. And they provide some statistics as well. So you can brag to your friends how many uh, ads you blocked and how fast you did it while doing that. Perfectly fine. And it's not too OpenBSD specific. Any other uh, systems can probably adopt this with a little bit of uh, uh, maybe path changes and stuff. But the uh, scripts are well documented and you should be able to find your way around it. Okay, great. Next up, we have some news from OpenBSD. And first, we have an article I missed in the in the headlines. Um, we have the Fugu Yata OpenBSD Live system updated for OpenBSD 7.2. Uh, Fugu Yata uh, 7.2 based on OpenBSD 7.2. First released uh, October 31st, 2022. So real fresh. Um, and they've got some updates. Uh, on ARM64, the Frame Buffer console is enabled in release and networking is no longer pre-configured. So in other words, it now runs the same as i386 and AMD64. Um, there's change to the automatic task startup. 
uh, there have been improvements to um, the setup for the window manager in the Japanese environment. Um, yeah, and this is a cool little live version of OpenBSD that you can run over the desktop. Um, and then we have uh, a story from the OpenBSD journal at undeadly.org. This has come from Ruida, uh, and it comes from the set in stone department. And they write, in a long series of commits, Theodorat has added support for immutable memory mappings on which we reported earlier. And we see, um, these are each commit messages, uh, add identifiers for the new mutable BSS section, dot OpenBSD mutable is uh, OX65A3DBE5. Also add PF mutable as a segment flag for later use. New UVM ET immutable flag marks a UVM entry as immutable. Add M immutable to system call, which locks the permissions of the memory mapping so they cannot be changed later by memmap, mprotect, or mem M unmap, which will error with eperm instead. In the linker, collect objects in section openbsd.mutable and place them into a page aligned region in the BSS with the right markers for kernel lda.so to identify the region and skip making it immutable. While here, read fix readelf object dump versions to show all of this. Add the m immutable uh, libc stub and adjust the manual pages and show the immutable bit in various output formats. These commits provide an early preview of what could be one of the major changes in a future release, likely OpenBSD 7.3. Test early, test often is always welcome. Oh, yes, for sure. Very nice. So let's jump into our beastie bits this week. We collected a couple of them. And the first one is a bit of a time critical thing because it's about the OpenBSD Mastery File Systems Print eBook Bundle pre-order from Michael W. Lucas. He is continue to uh, write books and of course we should support him in many ways possible. So he writes on his blog that until December 1st, I'll be taking pre-orders for print copies of OpenBSD Mastery file systems. You can even buy two books if you want because I can cram a second book into a priority mail envelope. Just let me know the title of the second one in an order comment. Okay, every purchase includes ebook versions of OMF and any other titles you get. And he'll also be ordering your books with the sponsor copies, signing them, and shipping at the same time. Ah, if that's not an enticing uh, thing to get, then I don't know what. The, he provides details on the order page as well. And he adds that if this works out well, he'll do it again. This intermediation is good. And if it whirls into a bewildering mess, well, he won't. So we'll see. Just, just think for... A small amount of money you can force Michael W. Lucas to do tedious manual labor. What, oh, yeah, what better, I mean, yeah, like what, what better better trade could you have? Um, <laughs> you give him some money and he has to stuff a ton of envelopes and and then carry stuff to a post office. I it almost makes me want a book. Yeah, yeah, it's a done deal. <laughs> <laughs> okay, next up on the Beastie Bits, we have a job posting from the one and only Clara Systems. And Clara Systems are looking for a FreeBSD kernel developer. Um, Clara, who have been mentioned a lot on this podcast and um, are my employer, are um, looking for a another FreeBSD kernel developer. Um, the FreeBSD kernel developer will report to um, me, actually, not a CTO, probably. Um, 
And as a current developer, they help the team deliver new features and enhancements to the FreeBSD operating system. The work includes resolving complex bugs, designing and implementing new features or subsystems, and maintaining and merging existing code across releases. Um, and obviously, I have a real big bias here, but it's been a great place to work uh, for the last ten months. And I'd love to hear from uh, I'd love to hear people who've come from our audience uh, applying for this role. And JT included this job ad. I didn't, but. We also have other job ads on our website. So we are looking for ZFS developers. Um, we're looking for FreeBSD and ZFS system administrators, but not as urgently as we want kernel hackers. Um, and we also have less technical roles. Um, so we're trying to hire technical content writers. So you don't need to be a kernel hacker to come on board. Uh, we have roles for um, more diverse things. And as we started working with Clara doing technical writing, which was covered and covered here, um, and it's, they're great people to work with. Um, we're also looking for a business development manager. So if you're listening to this podcast because you just love computers, but you like selling things too, it might be a, might be a job for you. Um, it's it's a good place. You should you should send us CVs. Uh, I'd love to hear if you do that you heard about it on the podcast because then it, then then you heard me say it. And it's cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's good to have this full <laughs> disclosure. And uh, yeah, interesting to reach out because this is the podcast that reaches a lot of BSD people. And connecting the right people together is definitely beneficial to the whole community. Okay, then we have news from FreeBSD that the 12.4 beta 1 has been released today is or is available. Uh, so Glenn Barber, the uh, person who does these things as the uh, you know release engineer for that release, uh, writes in his message that the first beta builds of the 12.4 release cycle is now available and. Please be patient. The mirrors have uh, not caught up yet in certain areas, but um, maybe by the time you listen to this episode, they have. And they have various images available of beta one. Again, this is beta, not released yet, but if you want to test and help find bugs, then definitely uh, test this out uh, for various different systems. And they note regarding the SD card images that for convenience, uh, those without console access to the system, a FreeBSD user with a password of FreeBSD is available by default for SSH access. Uh, and additionally, the root user password is set to root, so never you know put this on the internet. And because yeah, you know these things are not too secure. But it's beta, and it's out there to let people test it and find all the bugs, so that a later release of 12.4 will not have them. And there's various instructions how to get that and checksums to verify that the downloads are once they put up. Cool. Next up in the BC Bits, we have a mailing list post from Taylor R. Campbell on the NetBSD tech kernel mailing list, and it is hunting kernel lock and interrupt latency. And Taylor writes, too much of the kernel still runs with the kernel lock, which is bad for performance and especially for interactive system responsiveness, since most of WS cons, including the keyword and mouse input, still use the kernel lock. On single CPU systems, the same problem arises with interrupt latency on its own. So I've been trying to track down kernel lock abusers and long running interrupt handlers. I recently added some dtrace probes to help find these. Uh, here are some methods I used. And then there's a, a shell, well, <clears throat> there's a well-commented set of dtrace functions um, followed by some graphs. Um, and Taylor summarizes from this, it looks like the next thing's to prioritize, making MP safe for better system responsiveness, at least on my laptop are, um, PC keyboard interrupt, including PC keyboard port, WSKBD, WS mouse, WS event, PLCOM and COM, uh, so serial devices, PTYFS, TAP, uh, 
and get rid of the file associate delete and or fix locking. Surprisingly, nothing uh, I9, i915DRM related turned up in here, even though all the DRM IO controls are kernel locked. The worst offender that might have been i915 was the CDEV IO control, which isn't bad at all. Um, IWN interrupt also turned up with half a second of latency, but that'll be deferred until the Wi-Fi update that Martin's working on. Um, and this is great to see uh, improvement in such a low-level part of NetBSD, but it's even cooler to see dtrace being used and showing the value of having a dynamic tracing framework so you can analyze these sorts of problems. Oh, yeah. And people can take these scripts and adopt them to their own needs, so there's always a good way of uh, reusing them. And last but not least, we have found that the EuroBSDCon 2022 from Vienna uh, videos have starting to appear. I think not all of them, but most of the ones that OpenBSD was involved with are available because that's uh, linked here from the OpenBSD journal. And um, the EuroBSDCon YouTube channel has been updated with a variety of OpenBSD rated talks, not just OpenBSD, but other ones. And for those who didn't catch the streams live with the salient ones linked below, Theo Bühler, recent progress in and around LibreSSL, Ken Westerbeck about how OpenBSD transforms back blocks into a set of useful file systems. Uh, Mark SB, uh, architectures versus port street, a losing battle, question mark. Then there's Landry Burrell, that's correctly pronounced, uh, Taming the Fox. Then Philip Buhler again about Puffy Presents Video Conferencing, uh, Jitsi. And those are all mentioned and linked along the corresponding slides. And additionally, there are some recordings of OpenBSD rated EuroBSDCon 2022 talks not linked there. Uh, NSH, Network Shell on top of OpenBSD, made for Network Administrator, Tom Smith, and reviving and evaluating Thompson's backdoor at OpenBSD's make, Samuel Aubertine. Shame on me, I haven't watched any of them. Neither live, not yet uh, in video form, but I will definitely <laughs> check out some of Philip's talks. Uh, they looked interesting enough to me. BSD Now is sponsored by Tarsnap. Everyone needs backups. And Tarsnap ensures that your backups are not only safe, but also secure. Your data is encrypted on your device before being sent to the cloud, so that only you have the ability to read your data. Tarsnap takes your data and works out what data is duplicated in them, so that bandwidth can be safe. It then assembles your data into compressed blocks, encrypts those with your local private key, which never leaves your system, and then uploads those encrypted blocks to the cloud. So even if someone would have been able to obtain your backed up data in the cloud, they cannot access it because it's still encrypted. Tarsnap is easy to use. If you can use TAR, then you can use Tarsnap. Tarsnap is prepaid, so you never have to worry about an unexpected bill. Tarsnap is fully open source, allowing you to inspect the code to make sure it does what we say it does. Tarsnap also does bug bounties if you find some errors in the code. And with clients on all major platforms, there's no excuse to not have good backups. Go to tarsnet.com to learn more. Hey, hey, right. hey Benedict, do you, do you have questions? I feel like I have questions. Uh, do you, about some of those do you, do you, or what in particular? Do you have grand, grand questions? Just, you know. About you know, life and all the go. rest? What is the cat looking for? Will it stop raining? Uh, oh, I, yeah. I have questions, but my questions are boring. Your questions are much more interesting. Um, 
And so if you send your questions to feedback at bsdnow.tv, we'll read them out here. And our first question comes from Charles. And Charles says, Benedict, do you have questions? No. Um, Charles says, hey, all, we've had episodes with Alan and Benedict, Tom and Benedict, Alan and Benedict and Tom and JT, but we've not had episodes with Tom and Alan. Also, we've had episodes with JT and Benedict, but not Tom and JT or Alan and JT, what gives? When will I be able to complete my BSD Now bingo card? Excellent. Um, so <laughs> this, is, this is pretty easy. Um, you can you can have the Tom and Alan episode by applying for a job with Clara Systems and we'll interview you. Uh, don't know, <laughs> this is seriously a joke. Um, you can have the Tom and JT episode by listening to the open source voices episode I did with um, JT. That's just me and JT. Uh, JT and Benedict, who knows? I don't think they like each other. I've never, I've never oh, seen them at the same time. <laughs> Are you the same person? No, we're definitely not. I, I don't, I cannot, <laughs> you know, I can change my voice, but not too well that people would think it's two different people. Uh, you think I should take a week off and then Tom and Alan have to do an episode together? Uh, I think we should reserve that for emergencies. Yeah, it seems like a risky move. <laughs> what if we what if we forget we do a podcast and we all walk away <laughs> yeah it's definitely good that you uh like this uh and want to put a bit of variety in there but i think we have a good schedule now uh with uh, tom or alan the other week uh, having off and doing other things that are also equally interesting and important the problem the problem knows, Charles, maybe... is you've not factored in dan and you've not factored in marius like Oh yeah. yeah, those I, guest posts and, and, would also be good. And, or if you would be interested, then reach out and we can do one together, right? This is not completely uh, off the table. Yeah, or we so could do JT and Michael W. Lucas. It gets better the more so, things we come up with, right? So many, so many combinations. So um, many options. So many episodes more to record. Yeah, multivariant problem here. Don't try and. Don't try and see if we do better with faster computers with all these combinations because you just be here all week. Ah, yeah. And I mean, everyone brings their own unique personality and knowledge to the show. So it's never uh, boring or never the same if someone else would record it. So there's definitely uh, the variety in having various hosts uh, makes the show interesting. And uh, yeah, who knows? If I take a day off, then other people have to fill in. Okay, uh, thanks for that feedback. And um, the next one is a bit bigger uh, about the FreeBSD security defaults. And wait, let me uh, get to that. Yeah, it's about security defaults and it's from Jake. Uh, that goes, hey, BSD, now folks, thank you for your awesome podcast. Thank you for the feedback. I recently came across a page which criticizes FreeBSD security defaults and general development culture. The author does not seem like they do it because they hate FreeBSD or think it's terrible, but because they want to see it get better. I'm curious if you agree, disagree, or have any thoughts about what they have written, especially since many of the hosts are quite closely involved in the project. And that's the page in question. Uh, we know about this page um, from various sources. Um, people like you have uh, linked this to us and uh, it also uh, reached its uh, ways into the previous core. At least we had a notification about that. So it's definitely a discussion about various things FreeBSD does wrong in their eyes in terms of security. And um, from my point of view, it's there's some good points in there, definitely. But I think they are written in 
oh, why aren't you doing X? So in the way, like, why is not everyone driving a Ferrari or why is not everyone using VI or you know, Emacs or whatever? So this is material for a lot of discussions and these discussions should definitely be held. But some of these issues are a bit uh, more difficult than the external look into it would uh, reveal. And we're definitely, uh, as we mentioned in the earlier episode or earlier in the, this episode about the FreeBSD security team, uh, we're working on that and it's uh, focus on the project uh, and it's not uh, the only focus definitely, but there's various approaches to security, how to implement that, how many people are involved in that and various other things. So the article is quite good and concise and covers a lot of different uh, viewpoints, but I think it's still uh, not as easy as just, hey, just do it differently or just add these security things in there because they are there for a reason, sometimes historic, sometimes um, we haven't gotten to them yet, um, but it's definitely not a lack of, oh, we don't, we don't care about security. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not going to say nice things about this article, um, but it's, it's worth reading and you should read it and try and understand the bias from where it was written. It is not a neutrally written thing at all. Um, and it's not great to, some of the complaints are not great, but this is just going to keep coming up because it's very easy to um, make a big list of something's flaws and it's much harder to come along and fix stuff. Fixing stuff is really difficult. Um, and landing code in an open source project is one of the harder things you can do. It's much harder than doing proprietary software development or um, looking after stuff in the cloud. You have to appease a lot of people with conflicting views. And the fact is that FreeBSD is an engineering project and engineering engineered systems are always a matter of trade-offs for efficiency against cost. And you can go down some very deep rabbit holes um, for security, but you have to understand where good enough sits um and i think freebsd is a very secure platform and it takes security very seriously uh, and you'll see that with the um rigorous process that the secure the sec team go through while dealing with security issues um but yeah it's fine it's just going to keep coming up uh, mm. i'm sure it'll be back next year <laughs> yeah and i mean there's choice available right if you care about security and want to have a secure bsd system then by all means go with openbsd if you look for other additional features and stuff maybe OpenBSD doesn't have. No, if you if you pick another. If you want a secure operating system, use a secure operating system. Use a very pared down microkernel that can only do very limited set of tasks and will fulfill the needs you have. But you have to understand you live in the real world and there's a difference between um saying something is is secure and proving that it's secure and finding issues in a secure system doesn't mean it's insecure. It means that it is being tested and evaluated. It might be insecure, but it doesn't mean it is inherently insecure. Anyway, um, next up, we have a question from Sam on FreeBSD and SSDs. Sam writes, dear BSD now gents, which to me in the UK makes it sound like we're a bathroom. Um, <laughs> first, thanks for soliciting and answering questions from your listeners. BSD now is a fantastic resource to the open source community. Second, you know, uh, thank you. Thank you, Sam. Second, a question about SSDs and the lies they tell us. After learning about ZFS 2.0's native encryption capability on your show in the fall, I spent the holiday season. I don't know what holiday this means. I'm really confused. Yeah. I spent the holiday season upgrading my home server to 13.0 to take advantage of it, its inclusion in that release. After the OS upgrade, I added two consumer grade 
500 gigabyte SSDs from what I thought was a reputable vendor, crucial, with the intent of making a mirrored Z-pool overloom on which to start encrypting data sets. When I first installed the drives, I created separate Z-pools on them, taking up the whole of each drive, leaving with approximately two 500 gigabyte pools. The Z-pool utility didn't complain. DF showed I had the two 500 gigabyte file systems mounted. The next day, I tried reformatting them into a mirrored pool and things went wrong quickly. The Z-pool utility errored, saying that the drives weren't the same size. Checking the drives with a few different utilities, they now appeared to have a size of just 7.4 gigabytes. To confirm it wasn't FreeBSD in the utilities, a reboot of the server into its firmware boot menu showed that it too thought the drives were 7 gigabytes large. Puzzled, I'm pretty puzzled, I removed both of the drives, stashed them to a Fedora workstation, and found that Fedora merrily hummed along thinking they were both 700 gigabyte drives for days at a time. Fedora even let me write data for in excess of 7 gigabytes without error, and utilities like FDisk reported they were their advertised size. I already made one of the drives, and the replacement they sent me has the same issue. Unable to find anyone on the web who has reported the same problem, I ultimately gave up and just got new drives of the same make and model that my server uses as its boot disk, Western Digital, and haven't had any problems. Have you ever encountered this problem, or have a guess of what is going wrong? Why would an SSD appear to FreeBSD as its advertised size for a day, and then another size after? After, and all the while, Fedora not seeing anything wrong with them. Could the SATA hardware on my server somehow be to blame? Are SSDs smart enough to lie about themselves in different ways to different operating systems? The chapter on storage in Lucas's absolute FreeBSD was uh, enough to make me never trust storage devices again. Are there any vendors making SSDs that don't lie much, or at least tell the same lies consistently? Thanks, Sam. P.S. I understand that Alan played a role in the release of the ZFS Keys RC script in 13.1. Thanks for this. While it was a good exercise for me to crib a script from the FreeBSD forums that did the same job, it's nice to have an official solution for decryption at boot. Um, I, I don't know how Alan will ever hear this news. Yeah, we'll uh, I'm sure he's happy. try to pass it along. I've I've heard of um, like counterfeit controllers that lie about their size. Um, so this isn't an uncommon thing. In UV Google, you'll find this. This is more like for an external hard drive where inside of it is a USB stick and a bit of lead. And normally the way you test those is you write a lot more than the sizes there and then try and read it back. Um, so, you know, if you wrote 100 gigabytes of data here and then MD5'd it, you would get invalid data because they didn't have the room to store it. This sounds like a firmware issue of some sort. Yep, or a firmware Maybe. issue or a firmware upgrade could potentially solve that. I've never done a firmware upgrade in an SSD. Uh, yeah, I think FreeBSD now has ways to apply those from the vendor. Um, and But since you mentioned that you RMA'd one of them and you got a similar one back with the same issue, uh, this seems to be uh, something that is either the, the firmware of those uh, or a general issue with that specific batch, or as you mentioned, um, it could be something in the system. But since you verified it that Fedora does it uh, correctly, then that should have been something we may have yeah. analysis. To, to be huh. fair, you only said Fedora wrote to it, but yeah, I don't know. I would open one up and see if there was just a piece of lead in there. <laughs> yeah. I, don't, I don't think or so. Or just a, a um, piece of paper with SSD written on it. Yeah, but if you want to verify the size of a disk, you have to write to it as well as read from it. Um, you have to read from it as well as write from it. You need to see that you can get the data back because it's quite easy to make a hard drive that is infinitely big as long as you never read from yeah. it. Just accept every write forever. Um, it's also not very useful, but yeah. 
That's interesting. I sort of wish I had one to play with. Yeah. Or write something on Fedora and trying to import it again on FreeBSD. Or some give us some smart CTL output and collect a bit more data before um, or information from the drive before uh, sending it back. Because then we have a way to try to figure out certain ways that are or are not responsible for that. Thank you for sending in your Halloween story. It was good. Mm-hmm. Thanks, <laughs> okay, very nice. I think that wraps up this episode. And uh, we thank you for listening as always. Again, send your questions and feedback to feedback at bsdnow.tv. You can also find new episodes posted on Twitters. And of course, uh, in other news, we may have other uh, streaming things coming back to uh, our favorite twitch.tv slash bsdnow channel. We're still working on the details, but I think we'll be able to provide a bit more streaming. Stay tuned and till next time.